Hey, this episode is supported by How to Fix the Internet, a cool podcast from the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Are you tired of a digital world that's creeping you out? Well, it doesn't have to be that way. There are real solutions to problems like surveillance capitalism, AI, and digital privacy. And we can make the internet a better place for all of us. Cindy Kahn and uh, Jason Kelly are the awesome hosts of uh, How to Fix the Internet. Cindy is a tech activist and uh, Jason is a digital strategist. Together, they are inviting experts to share their vision on how to fix the internet. And you know what? It's super enlightening. I checked out the Freedom to Tinker episode and uh, it blew my mind. It's definitely worth listening to. You can listen to How to Fix the Internet anywhere you get your podcasts or visit eff.org slash podcast. So search for How to Fix the Internet, join the conversation, and let's make the internet a better place. Welcome back to another episode of Data Science at Home podcast. I'm Francesco, podcasting from the regular office of Brussels City based in Belgium. In this episode, I would like to uh, continue a bit the conversation that we had uh, last time uh, related to um, large language models like uh, ChatGPT, which is on the news these days and uh, not just these days. Uh, and in the last episode, I mentioned um, what I believe is probably the game changer when it comes to uh, large language models like ChatGPT, uh, which is the uh, component uh, in charge of the reinforcement learning from human feedback. Uh, which is gone kind of, uh, you know, under the radar uh, for no reason. Many out there are not considering this as, you know, the component that is actually making the difference between uh, GPT-3 or the family of GPT models uh, in the past and chat GPT. And I personally believe that that's not the case uh, due to the fact that, you know, I've been playing with chat GPT for an extensive period now. And uh, what I can say is that I believe that the reinforcement learning from human feedback is, in fact, uh, what uh, might make the difference uh, when it comes to uh, correcting or adjusting um, the answers or the responses that you would get from an automated system like uh, ChatGPT. And so in this episode, I would take some time to explain what uh, reinforcement learning from human feedback, which goes under the acronym RLHF, obviously, um, is all about, and why it is, in my opinion, important. And we should be talking about this much more than, you know, the core prediction that a language model like ChatGPT performs, which is predicting the next word given a, an input context, right? So that's exactly what, what the GPT family of models uh, are doing. Uh, they are essentially taking an input in form of text. Uh, now, how big this input is, of course, depends on how much context or how much, let's say, memory, quote memory, uh, these models should have on the current conversation and of course generate the next word uh, and and of course the next you know iterating this uh, this idea and generating the next phrase or the next paragraph until of course they build something that makes sense uh, and is as human friendly as possible as as an answer as a response but where is the uh, reinforcement learning part um, and that's exactly what uh, you know, I would like to expand on in this show. Uh, so, first of all, when would you use reinforcement learning with or from human feedback? Well, in two particular situations. The first is probably when you can't uh, create a good loss function. 
um, for example, uh, you know, it's it's very hard to think about a metric to measure uh, if the model output was, you know, let's say, not appropriate. Maybe it was just, you know, uh, vulgar uh, or racist or whatever, right? So we should find a way to measure this, to measure, uh, let's say, the accuracy of a model in terms of natural text, which is not an easy an easy task. You know, after all, we are not calculating an accuracy given, uh, you know, two numbers. We know the ground truth, we know the predicted number, we make a difference and we say, okay, we are off of this much percentage or, or, or this many points uh, with respect to the ground truth. That's not the case here because this is text, first of all, and, and also this is semantic, uh, like there is, you know, even though text can be different and usually is different, the meaning of that answer could be very similar. Uh, and so, you know, having a metric that calculates that is very, very difficult. So that's where you would use, for example, reinforcement learning from human, from human feedback, because you would have a human in the loop telling you if that answer uh, is indeed good or bad, and so giving some sort of reward. Uh, the second case in which one wants to use a reinforcement learning from human feedback approach is um, when you want to train, you know, online, online training, which means that uh, training directly on production data. And that's something that ChatGPT is supposed to do. Uh, now, we don't know if, of course, that verse, the new version of ChatGPT doesn't become public immediately. There is some vetting and there is definitely some uh, testing that is done behind the, the curtains. Uh, but, you know, the fact that uh, ChatGPT keeps talking to people, or in fact, people keep chatting with ChatGPT, uh, it means that, indeed, there is a continuous training and so this training happens on a, on a daily basis on production data. And the problem of production data is that you can't easily label production data. Um, because think about this, you, you have production data and you need to label them for, for ChatGPT to take action uh, on this new available data. This means that someone has to, uh, let's say, write what is supposed, look, supposed to be the, the correct answer of ChatGPT, and then eventually evaluate if the answer that actually was returned by ChatGPT uh, is in a way similar to, to the correct one. And as you can understand, this is not feasible because don't forget there is already, I think, one million or more people using ChatGPT as we speak. And this means that there are several millions of, of active conversations as we speak. <laughs> so. We cannot think of putting a, a human in the loop in a situation like this because, you know, it would just be not feasible. So what is the reinforcement learning from human feedback, human feedback algorithm about? Well, it's in fact a, a series of three important steps uh, that start from the very beginning, which is pre-training a language model, uh, then training a reward model, and uh, finally fine-tuning the language model with the reinforcement learning model or the reward model. So combining these two models, and I will, of course, expand on this and give you much more details than this definition in a minute, uh, the combination of these two, in fact, is bringing a language model that is not only, you know, capable due to the uh, impressive amount of parameters that, that it has, for example, 175 billion parameters is something that we can't even think of, uh, probably 
uh, above 300 gigabyte uh, of space when you want to load such a model in memory. Um, and then there is the reinforcement learning part, which is, I don't know why, it has been kind of ignored. You know, the attention and the spotlight has been on the on the GPT core prediction rather than on this other component that, again, I insist, uh, it's probably one of the most important pieces uh, that we haven't considered in the past models before ChatGPT. So let's start from the first task. The first task, as I said, is pre-training a language model. And here we are, you know, we all agree what that means. It means take a pre-trained model, you know, because you don't want to start from scratch training these things. Don't forget that these things are extremely heavy uh, in computation. And uh, th these are massive models. They are called large language models for a reason. And uh, uh, so starting from scratch all the time, uh, it's, you know, impossible and also very expensive. It's possible, of course, but it's extremely expensive. Um, and also it would have a huge impact, you know, if each of us would retrain these things from scratch, uh, this would have a huge impact on the environment as well. You know, imagine running thousands and thousands of GPUs uh, to train these models and uh, in fact be at the same point <laughs> at the, with the same quality altogether. So we can just use a pre-trained model and start from there. Uh, usually the GPT-3 model is taken into consideration, so we take the weights from there and we continue the training from there in case we want to specialize, for example, in one particular domain, though I believe that GPT-3 is trained in pretty much all the domains that you might think of, but you can have any exotic domain for which you say, now I would like to do some tuning and I would like to, let's say, customize my pre-trained model to my particular domain. So you can do that. Hey there, let's talk about finding a job that's not just challenging, but also rewarding and fun. And if you're a software engineer looking to make an impact, then you'll want to hear about Bloomberg. They're building the world's most trusted information network for financial professionals, and they need engineers like you to join them. As someone who's been in the tech industry for a while, I know how hard it can be to find the right employer. But when I stumbled upon Bloomberg, I was blown away by their commitment to building a diverse workforce full of fresh perspectives. Any engineer looking for an appealing and beneficial career should consider Bloomberg. So why Bloomberg? Well, you'll be part of a team that builds tools to help the world's leading business and finance decision makers. You'll work with some of the brightest minds in the industry to develop solutions that are relied on by more than 350,000 financial professionals around the globe to make critical business decisions. And let's not forget that great engineers love a challenge. At Bloomberg, you'll solve complex real-world problems for customers across the globe capital markets, from real-time market data to sophisticated analytics, powerful trading tools, and more. Bloomberg engineers work with systems that operate at scale. Lastly, Bloomberg believes in using the right tools for the job. The majority of their software is built in C++, JavaScript, TypeScript, and Python. And Bloomberg engineers are active members of the open source community. So, if you are a software engineer looking for an exciting and fulfilling career, head over to bloomberg.com careers to learn more. That's bloomberg.com slash careers. The other thing that you have to do is called uh, supervised fine tuning. And, uh, uh, you know, this is essentially getting some uh, human labeled uh, input output text pairs 
and fine-tuning the language model that you have just trained, right? Um, and, you know, this is essentially what we called in language models, even back in the days with the RNNs or LSTMs, this was exactly the same task that we did uh, many, many times. Even I explained this on this show uh, many episodes ago. <laughs> I don't recall which number. But uh, uh, essentially, at the end of this step, we would have um, the pre-trained language model that is now you know, tuned and trained for our particular use cases. The second uh, step is training a reward model. And this is where you know, things start becoming a bit interesting, in my opinion, uh, because this is you know, getting more and more you know, closer to the, to the idea of the reinforcement learning paradigm of computation which is, and we explained this a number of times on this show, a way to uh, punish or positively reward a model uh, if the model is behaving accordingly or according to our requirements. Uh, we have seen this for, for example, reinforcement learning for video games in which we have these models that you know apply some computer vision on the screen, uh, detect where, for example, the playing character is, where the non-playing characters or the enemies are, and there are like four actions, usually up, down, left, and right, or maybe five actions if you want to add a space bar to jump or whatever other button to shoot, if it's a shooting game, and so on and so forth. So there is a list of actions, and essentially what the model is doing in the reinforcement learning fashion is to uh, select an action that is uh, appropriate for that particular screen, or a bunch of screens, like uh, frames, um, and apply the action. So, for example, if it's time to move forward, apply action up, which is the, the up arrow key on your, on your keyboard. Uh, then what happens is that, okay, the character moves, um, and uh, there is yet a new frame with a new uh, situation, a new scenario. Um, and essentially what the model does uh, is assessing what is the quality, what was the quality of that action in that particular scenario? Because if the playing character gets killed, well, then the model should learn that uh, that going up was probably not the best choice, right? <laughs> and so it would uh, negatively reward the, uh, the, the model. So the there is a reward function that would impact negatively the model. So the model has a way to learn uh, what is good and what is bad, depending on the situation where the character is or you know the input uh, is. And that's exactly what happens here. So in this step, uh, what we are interested in uh, is uh, in a triplet or many triplets in which we have the input text, the output text, and the reward. So the reward indicates how good or bad that particular output text, which is the, gener- the, the, the model-generated data or text, uh, was with respect to the input. And this is usually something that, in, you know, for ChatGPT, has been performed by human beings. Okay? So there is a lot of human intervention. Don't think that ChatGPT is magic, is, uh, is uh, AGI or whatever they tell you. It's not. It's a model. It's very powerful. I'm not diminishing it. But there is a lot of human intervention during the training phase, right? And so there is a lot of human feedback. The human feedback consists of uh, assigning a reward to production data, so the text data that you feed the model, that you uh, input uh, to the model, to the trained language model. Then the model starts generating something that we call output text, 
and that output text in comparison with input text are put together and the human being assigns a reward to that, let's say, triplet, right? So that's exactly what we want to collect. Now, what do we do with these triplets? Well, we have to find a way to inform the model about that reward because we want the model to train and to improve to choose the best possible answer for a particular input text. And that information essentially has to be propagated, you know, from the reward that has been given by humans, it has to be back propagated. In fact, I, I, I said it has to be propagated, but in terms of deep learning, it has to be back propagated. But there are a lot of difficulties. I'm, um, I'm simplifying for the sake of the podcast. It's very hard to explain these things without a whiteboard. <laughs> I'll do my best. But essentially, you know, this is the concept, okay? We need to take that reward and essentially propagate it back to the model so the model can learn uh, what was good, what was bad. Now, there is um, the... The third step, which is uh, fine-tuning the language model with reinforcement learning. And this is essentially where the trick really, really uh, happens. Because what happens here is that, well, uh, it's the backpropagation of this um, score that humans have been uh, assigning to change the weights of the model at runtime, so during production, and so the model improves uh, as it goes. Now, the problem of this is that, of course, we cannot expect that, um, you know, we have humans always attached to the system, reading your conversations and assigning rewards. <laughs> that would be impossible and probably it would break uh, even, it would violate many, you know, privacy uh, constraints that you would have on the text. Though I believe that all the people who are chatting on ChatGPT probably are aware that their text is read by human beings very likely and by uh, algorithms and 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 all the, all their conversations are <laughs> stored so if you didn't know that you do now <laughs> because you know this is you know collecting your conversations uh, on on a, on a on a regular basis but that's not what i want to discuss today how do we remove uh, humans and maintain the let's say, human-in-the-loop reward model. To do this, uh, the, the researchers and the practitioners behind ChatGPT have implemented something that is absolutely neat and, and clever, which is building a second model that is called the, the reward model. Uh, and essentially, this model um, predicts a reward-given text, right? <laughs> now, uh, why would you do that? Well, because you don't want people to to give to assign rewards to text you want another model to assign rewards to text and so if you have a model that is good at rating uh, or assigning rewards to text well then you can put that model in production together with the language model and uh, you know empower the language model with an automated reward system without people you can put people maybe at some point to correct things but you don't need uh, an army of, uh, of individuals rewarding conversations at runtime or in real time. What happens here? Uh, well, there are many complications in what I'm saying here. Uh, so the fact that, for example, the reward model um, is, you know, is not differentiable is uh, a mathematical um, constraint that we uh, have to face. 
due to the fact that the reward model, uh, in fact, the reward was calculated with a reward model that receives text as input. Uh, now, this text is, um, uh, in fact, calculated by decoding uh, an output log probability of the language model. And this means that um, when you take a language model, uh, don't expect that you input text and, you and, and the model generates text for you. The model doesn't generate text directly. The model generates probabilities, right? Uh, and then, you know, these are in fact log probabilities that will indicate what is the most, you know, probable word uh, to be generated after that particular input. And the model will keep, you know, generating these things, will keep generating numbers, eh? not, not text. Now, the, the problem that, how do you generate the text from the model? So the output generated text uh, or the model generated text is in fact calculated, well, decoded from a bunch of probabilities. Uh, and that's where you have the actual word that makes sense in your language, in English, Italian, whatever, so far only English. Now, this decoding process is non-differentiable, all right? And this is a problem because if you want to do backpropagation, the theory is telling us that if you want to backpropagate, you can do that only with differentiable things, right? Now, how would you make something, how would you build a, a, a differentiable loss function? Well, uh, there is another trick that comes to the rescue that is called proximal policy optimization or PPO. Um, and essentially this algorithm considers ratios of the new probabilities uh, versus the initial probabilities of the model and selects the, uh, the minimum between this ratio times uh, the reward uh, of the system or uh, it clips the ratio between 0 0.8 and 1.2. I, I know that these numbers probably don't make sense to you. Uh, these are just hyperparameter values that are, uh, you know, come from some sort of magical <laughs> world. Uh, in fact, it's a, a, these are parameters obtained by trial and error. Um, there is also another uh, hyperparameter that researchers are using for this, uh, which is repeating this, you know, uh, reward calculation or loss calculation um, in an iterative fashion with n times, where n is equal to 4. So uh, 0 0.8, 1 1.2, and 4 are the magic numbers here. Uh, but again, don't take this too um, uh, too seriously in a way because, you know, the fact that we don't understand where these numbers come from uh, tells us a lot about how much uh, trial and error these models have to, to go through. Uh, and there is no, you know, exact or scientific way or formula that tells you you have to do this many times or uh, you have to clip the ratio between X and Y where X and Y can be arbitrary numbers. So, you know, you, we don't have that, okay? This is not physics. This is not mathematics, uh, um, pure mathematics. This is uh, language. And language, of course, can be fuzzy and should stay fuzzy uh, in a way. So. Uh, I hope I made it clear uh, to, you know, to explain this model. Of course, I will report as much as I can of the, some of the references that are, um, you know, in the literature, uh, and that makes sense to read. There are several papers that, in my opinion, are very, very interesting. Uh, one in particular uh, by uh, Anthropics uh, and, of course, DeepMinds, uh, uh, 
both from 2022, so very recent papers, and the other one, of course, from OpenAI. I will report this in the show notes of this episode, as always, at datascienceatome.com, uh, our official website. Of course, do not hesitate to jump on the Discord channel on uh, uh, the link that you will find also on the same website, datascienceatome.com. And uh, um, if you want to participate to becoming an ambassador, uh, of course, don't hesitate to uh, drop a line. Uh, there will be Nabi, who's extremely active in uh, telling you uh, the next big thing happening on the show. And we would definitely love you to be to participate to this and join us. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Data Science at Home podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean to get new fresh episodes. For more, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or visit our website at datascienceathome.com.